Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tastings Studio, I'm Bullhagen. I'm Burns. And I'm Vicar. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. So, you don't know who Burns is. So, normally you're used to Bert or Berg. Keeping up a theme, today we have Burns. And you're probably wondering, who is this Burns fella? Well, he is a local pastor who happens to be an OG vicar. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0 in the house. Was that right? That's right. 5.0. And, uh, you know, Berg's on vacation. Bert moved away to Minnesota. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, Bert that Miller. made me sad. Yeah. I hate to see him go. And to Minnesota. Ugh. <laughs> What's wrong with Minnesota? I don't like Minnesota. I'm sorry. It could be worse. Oh, <laughs> our, our associate producer, hopefully you're not too offended. We <laughs> have an associate producer who is a listener who kind of elbowed her way into being our associate content producer. Uh, she's from Minnesota. Oh, sorry. So uh, something about uh, Burns. Let me see. Well, one is he was nervous about whether he was going to pass vicarage or not, so he made my wife and I, uh, godparents to his children. Is that, 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 that is my advice to every vicar have a baby and have, have them be your godparents. You'll pass. (laughs) They love babies. (laughs) All right. That, that's uh, sounds like a plan. And you have no idea what you walked into. I have no idea what's going on. You have no idea. So, so a little vicar, give a little recap of what can you expect on this uh, podcast? Insanity. Insanity. All right. So sometimes we feature a (laughs) beverage. Yeah. Because uh, did you ever go to any of the the talks and tastings? Unfortunately, I can't say that I have yet. So this kind of bore out of that. The idea is we try a beverage sometimes, which is the talks and tasting studio. And uh, so uh, because it's a hot day, I brought a beverage for everybody. Um, I'm on. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You have a choice. You are our guest, Pastor Burns. And... uh, this is a show, by the way, I don't know why I mentioned that, that shows you what's behind the collar. <laughs> I'm going to go with fruit punch. Fruit punch. You want one, Vicar? Now, what are we drinking? What are we drinking? Oh, You thanks. just hold it out and set it on the table. Oh, we have Gatorade. You have the fruit punch Gatorade. Um, Vicar, would you like one? Yeah, sure. Why, why not? And it looks like one of those is a Gatorade Zero, but the other two are just Gatorade. Yeah, I just noticed that. I really spent a lot of time, so I get the Zero. <laughs> And uh, I'm going to be the healthiest of all of us. Uh, I just dug into my fridge and found a Coca-Cola. So, All right. Nice. So, so how, how is your beverage, Jeff Burns? It's, it's delicious. Thank you. It's quenching. I spent the morning fishing, so... Uh, oh, gonna, did you catch anything? Uh, the kids did. They're kids fishing, not me. Oh, a bunch of bluegill. Do you go on? onto a side of a water, or do you go out in a boat? Uh, we, were, we were on the shore. Clear Lake had a uh, kids fishing tournament today, and uh, so I took the three older ones out and had the grandfather's help, and... It was so, a lot so, of fun. So tell the listener, because part of the, the appeal of the, the podcast is what's behind the collar. You've got a pretty nice setup in your parsonage. Yeah, yeah. So we live on the western shore of Clear Lake, and uh, our congregation owns a uh, – the, the land that was donated for the church also came with a park, uh, be, uh, lakefront park. And uh, we have docks uh, there. People who live in the area are allowed to put docks out, and there's a dock spot for the church. And uh, we're about, I don't know, 
200 yards from the fishing jetties there, very popular place to come and fish, and uh, it's kind of a nice nice little area. So your, your Gatorade good? Gatorade's good, yeah. yeah. All right, need some life. Okay. For, for All right. All right. Sorry. Come on. Sorry, sorry. Now, I know you're a pastor. Now, I can't just... You came here out of the goodness of your heart for all the, the pain you put me through that year. I know you really didn't want to come. I kind of forced your hand. Am I no, right? You're no, kind of... no. We just had to like find the time, right? I'm surprised uh, we haven't had you on this soon. Well, that's your fault, not mine. I blame you mostly. That's true. So what are you preaching on? Uh, what's the gospel lesson, Vicar? Well, gospel lesson, because we're now in... The long green season of Trinity after Pentecost. So gospel readings, Luke 16, 19 to 31. Which is commonly known as? Yeah, that's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man and Lazarus. And uh, I don't know, I think that might be familiar enough that we don't have to necessarily read the whole thing. You want to give Probably us not. a give us a Reader's Digest version of the text, Vicar? Yeah, Jesus is teaching the disciples and tells this, and the Pharisees are there as well. And so he tells this story of these two men, one who's a rich guy, the other one who... He names Lazarus, and both men die. Both men, you know, having been described with their lives, the one having obviously, you know, a rich, opulent lifestyle, the other guy living basically in the gutter. They both die. The man who was really rich goes down to hell, and Lazarus, who had this terrible life but was faithful, is taken up to heaven. And the rich man sees this somehow while he's down in the fire and is asking that someone be sent back to his family to tell them what happens. And basically everyone who's up where Lazarus is says, no can do. If they weren't listening to the Bible already, it doesn't do them any good. Yeah, they won't even listen to you if they haven't listened to Scripture. So what direction are you going with that text? I need to know because my sermon isn't done yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we talk about the fact that we're recording this at 3 p.m. on Saturday. <laughs> Yeah, he's not writing a sermon until about five tomorrow morning, so it's okay. Um, I am uh, I'm kind of focusing on the doctrine of hell um, and mm. uh, that, uh, one, there is a hell um, and that uh, it is eternal. As uh, Vicar was mentioning, um, the, the rich man asks – first he asks that uh, Lazarus be sent to give him a drop of water uh, to cool his tongue. And uh, Abraham says, you know, no, um, you know, you, you and your life had – uh, comfort, uh, and Lazarus is now being comforted eternally, and um, and you know can't, he cannot come down and 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 do that, and um, so he says, well then send him to my to my brothers, and he says no. Um, so uh, one, I'm going to focus on uh, the uh, the doctrine of hell and heaven, the the eternality, if that's a word, uh, of of heaven and hell, um, and uh, and then specifically that uh, it is listening to. Moses and the prophets, to the scriptures, to the Bible, um, by which faith is given um, uh, and worked by the comforter. So you have that word comfort. Um, Abraham uses the word comfort, uh, the same word that uh, the Holy Spirit has given his title of comforter, who works faith through the, through the hearing of the scriptures. Very good. You were trained well, Burns. I, I had a good example. <laughs> I like the one time you said, you told me, I read through a sermon, vicar, sermon on uh, from Vicarage. I said, I can't believe you let me preach it. I said, well, <laughs> you edited that a few times. Right. That was probably one I had to edit like 80 times. Yeah. So that's bad. Uh, my direction, um, it might change. You know, the spirit might move me another di- direction. But the direction I, w- I, I like to, would like to go with this text is, is the idea of um, false hope in the sense of uh, the rich man, because everything in his life was going so well, 
he assumed mm-hmm. that uh, that inter- uh, that eternity will just fall in line with everything that happened on earth. So because he had such a good life, he figured he had God's favor, and uh, the look on his face must have been priceless when he found out differently. As opposed to, to Lazarus, people might say, look at their life, and it might be a tough time, and say, oh, where is God's favor? Now, Lazarus had it. He had to wait for the full riches of what that meant. Uh, but uh, if you're simply going by all sorts of things outside of what God's word says, it is going to lead you false hope because we all like to talk ourselves into thinking, oh, my sin isn't so bad or my situation is better. I'm not like so-and-so. And we, we judge all these things, our eternity based on all sorts of subjective things as the rich man did without actually considering what scripture actually says about repentance, about salvation, and all of those things. So, in a way, this text could be a wake-up call to a lot of people who simply find themselves comfortable in their salvation without ever actually considering their sins, without repentance, without any of those things. Oh, I'm just, I'm a nice guy. You know, I try, whatever the case may be. Um, because most people, you know, when I say, talk about the rich man's being surprised, don't you think everyone's going to be surprised? Yeah. You know, outside of a few who, you know, who just assume. But... Every most people look in their hearts, and either they're afraid, they ignore it, or you know, I'm pretty comfortable. <laughs> and and the rich man in, in this um, in this case would have been viewed by everybody else as being, hey, this is the guy who's blessed by God. I mean, look at everything that he's been given. Um, you know, he's he's living this great life, and he's obviously got God's favor. Um, some of the um, uh, sermons that I I read from like Gerhard and and Luther, um, uh, Walther kind of focus on some of those things as well, right? That this guy, this guy would have been seen by everybody else as being, you know, he had God's favor and Lazarus was obviously cursed by God. And, uh, and it's a, it's a, well, in Luke's, Luke's gospel, right? The great reversal for both of these men, um, for what, uh, what, what they receive at death. And, uh, Vicar, so this, this would be a great text, uh, to knock down the theology of glory. Yeah. Why would that be? Well, the the theology of glory is the whole idea that, you know, I'm a believer and therefore I'm going to win in this life. Here's this rich man who is a descendant of Abraham who should, by all accounts, know all of his scripture very well, and he's super successful. And what does he get at the end? It's eternal punishment. There's no glory in any of the things that he achieved. There's also a practical understanding in this text, too, um, which uh, a lot of I think we tend to forget as Lutherans, sometimes we focus on this aspect, but there is a strong message of caring for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, indeed. I mean, uh, Jesus makes a point that, that the Lazarus is laid at the rich man's gate, covered in sores, longing to eat a crumb that falls from the, the table, which I always love that, uh, that language because it ties into the Canaanite woman from earlier mm-hmm. in the gospel. It's the same, same uh, phraseology there. She's longing um, to, to eat the crumbs that fall from the ma- her master's table, uh, the Lord Jesus, and, uh, and the rich man gives him nothing. He feasts sumptuously. He has, you know, he has Thanksgiving dinner every day, uh, and he does nothing for Lazarus. He despises his neighbor, which shows that he also doesn't love God, shows that he does not um, have faith, does not believe Moses and the prophets of scriptures. So you're, what you're saying, this is, this is what I'm, you can correct me if I'm wrong, what I'm getting that is 
this is kind of a proof text for open borders. Correct. No. <laughs> Stop it. I'm trying to get under her skin. <laughs> oh, by the way, there is there's a tie into a question we received from Hannah. Um, she uh, had been listening to an episode about our dog, which is officially now named Norman. Yeah, that's a it's it's official. It was official what like two days after the podcast came out, the first one. Right. There's a discussion of uh, the dog that we now have, Julie has, <laughs> and uh, she didn't think Norman was a correct name, but I pretty much convinced. I was pretty heavy handed. I didn't give up and just kept on calling him Norman until Julie gave up. But I told her I hated the the dog less if it was named Norman, <laughs> that it would annoy me less having the dog. So that, that brings us to the question from Hannah, which is, is it a sin uh, to acquire a non-rescue dog? What's your uh, answer to that? My answer would be no, it's not a sin. There's, 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 no, uh, <laughs> there, there, there's no moral question of, uh, of having a pet or, or, you know, getting a pet from a non, non-rescue well, place. Well, my experience is this, okay? You know, is it a sin? When I, when I think of when we got the rescue dog, is it a sin to fork out 350 bucks to get kicked below the belt forcefully? That's kind of how I feel. <laughs> you okay, Vicar? You all right? I'm just not sure where you were going with that point. Well, I mean, that is what it's my experience to uh, welcoming a rescue dog into my house, which I didn't. So the rescue dog cost three hundred fifty dollars. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So that's more than I paid for a purebred black lab like fifteen years ago. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> With, so so I got. I, I mean, you mean your horse? Right, my horse. She's no longer with us. Um, but uh, yep, yeah, right, right, right. That's <laughs> like that's like three times as much as I paid for my purebred black lab. Yeah, but here's the thing about your purebred. Black Lab. What kind of... Because you wanted to hunt with it. I was... Right. She was going to be a hunting dog. It didn't happen. So you get she what became, you pay for. That's it. right. She became she became a lazy house dog. Right. But Did she weigh like 100... 140 pounds. For a Labrador. For a Labrador. Yeah. As a female. As a female. As a female. Right. And the max weight that uh, all the books said was uh, like 50 pounds or something. Maybe 70 for so males. So you were told that she was purebred. Right. Right. <laughs> but she was crossed with like a bull mastiff or something probably. Right. right. Or a pony. Right. Did you ever get any of your kids to ride the dog? Did that ever uh, happen? Levi stood on her. Levi used her to get up on the counter. We've got pictures of that. That was pretty good. And she she laid there and took it. She was a That's great dog. That's a nice dog. thing about a, a Labrador, though. They're kind of... They're gentle, good with kids. They're great. But now my wife won't let me get a dog. So, you know, there's that. Yeah. We're begging, but... Uh, yeah, I think your wife and I are kind of the same mind, and you and my wife are same on the yeah. same mind when it comes to dogs. Isn't that scary? Right. 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 And probably some other things. But too. That, that says something about marriage, right? <laughs> right. Doesn't it? Yes. My wife wanted a dog. And she got it. Your wife doesn't want a dog. And we're not getting one. Correct. Yeah. See how that works, Vicar? Are you learning? Oh, yeah. You've been married a while. You yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> so so does, does that answer the question? Does that answer the question? <laughs> Is it a sin? One, one thing, when, when I get asked these questions and, and you know, and obviously we're not having, you know, a direct conversation right now with Hannah, but I, I was By like, the way, that's the, the, kind of the standard. Okay. We only converse through her. She emails us and then we sure. respond on the show. Sure. Sure. Right. 
what I was going to say is that when I get these questions, I always ask, you know, why are you asking if this is a sin? Like what's, what is behind, you know, that question? Because, you know, depending on where somebody's coming from, you know, maybe, maybe there is something, maybe there is something else there that can be addressed, right? Like, Mm. um, the, the, the why question I think is always a helpful one. I think I learned that from you. Yes. Very, very much so. (laughs) So Peter, did we answer that question? (laughs) Uh, you know what? We'll leave it to Hannah. We'll find out next week if we answered the question. Yes. And Hannah, by the way, I know we, we all know on the show that uh, Berg is your favorite. He's on vacation right now. He's just been busy. So we'll have Berg back. He will be back. But he's coming back from vacation today because I need to get a couple in before I go on vacation. Um, so that brings us to a segment um, that I we have entitled... Of course, you wouldn't know because you don't listen to the podcast. I'm sorry, I don't listen to any podcast. But you I'm have sorry. a flip phone. Not, no, I, not well. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Wait, can we talk about this? It's not a flip phone. It's a light phone. What's a light phone? Oh, it's awesome. So it is a not smartphone. They are like the anti-smartphone company. And I've uh, uh, got another pastor in our district on board. He now also has a light phone. Actually, a couple of them do. It is a phone that... Got this calls. You can text. It actually can get podcasts and music, uh, but uh, there's no camera. There's no uh, internet interface. It's just a phone. How much does it cost? Um, I think originally they were three hundred dollars, <laughs> but uh, they it you was know on a sale. smartphone is cheaper, right? It you is. Go to Walmart. It is. It's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah. But uh, but it keeps uh, keeps me from looking at my phone and not looking at my children or interacting with them and it kind of eliminates all of the, you know, all the temptations to do other stuff rather than Mm. live life, which is why I got it. So I'm becoming more and more anti-technology all the time. You you are, you are transforming into Berg. Hey, there are worse people to transform into. (laughs) Don't tell them I said that though. We'll be like quitting Facebook, but like, Hey, I quit Facebook years ago. (laughs) (laughs) That was the first thing I did. (laughs) Oh, so maybe you're ahead of Berg. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the listener, if you actually saw his face, you understand why. <laughs> Ouch. Bum, 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 bum. I'm kidding. You can't really see his face. That, that's right. He's got one of these, I would describe like a Montana beard. That's a good description. Yeah. You know, I think I told last time I saw we saw you, I think I said, you know, J- Jesse is slowly turning into Montana. So, <laughs> <laughs> like they say, but you can't take a... You can take a, a wolf out of the wild. You can't take the wild out of the wolf. That's right. You can take the m- m- Montana, the person out of Montana. Can't take Montana out of the man. That's right. That's right. So the we are all over the place today. That's okay. Um, we have a segment entitled uh, uh, What It Is, What It Ain't, and What It Could Be. So before we can get into it, though, something has to happen. Mm-hmm. Yes, which you have no idea. I have no idea. So Peter plays intros for us. Okay. But he has to know when to play it. So we yeah, have to I say can't s- just, you know, play it whenever. You know, that'd be get, that would get really confusing for people. Yeah. So someone has to say, Peter, play the intro. And usually the guest person, like if you listen to the show, <laughs> you would understand that, that Bert, no one can compete with with Bird on Bird is awesome. I like Bird. Yeah. I mean, he said it with such gusto. Uh, Burns, would you please say, Peter, play the intro. Peter, 
Play the intro. What is it? Who knows? We do. It's time for what it is, what it ain't, what it could be. So uh, um, the topic that I have chosen is something that we talk a lot about, but I don't think we always define it. Okay. And so I actually covered this a little in Bible study. I figured, well, that'll be a good time to talk about today. And that is the topic of verbal inspiration. So uh, what do you know about that? What do I know about that? Oh, boy. Because um, there's a lot of what it is and what it ain't sure. and what it could be. Sure. Uh, I think typically when we're talking about verbal inspiration, we're talking about the fact that God has inspired, inspired the scriptures, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's God's word and not uh, not merely man's word. And see, as we get into this, I'm, I'm going to delineate some of those things. Okay. okay. Now, normally I talk about what it is, but this is going to have what it ain't too. So simply put, what it is... What it is. Uh, it is uh, the fact that um, the scriptures and the original writings are properly interpreted to show that they are whole and true and inspired by God. Okay? So inspired by God to these writers, and then because of that, every word is also inspired by God. So what is, what is this inspired by God? What does that mean? Um, it means that uh, well, Second Timothy is a good description. It says Second Timothy three: All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And so, when we talk about verbal inspiration, one thing is we admit is is God didn't directly pen the words; He used instruments. He used men to write them. Um, and that's interesting. Even the Gospels, uh, when it talks about what Jesus said, Jesus didn't actually sit down and write the words. He used witnesses to write right. down what he said. Um, but this says, Scripture, now when, when Timothy says this, he's, we, we understand it to refer to the Old and the New Testament. Why? Because Jesus attested himself to the truth of the Old Testament. And also, he, he, uh, when it comes to the New Testament, he uh, um, blessed the apostles, gave them the Holy Spirit. It says, uh, not too long ago in church, we heard how the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, would come and bring into remembrance what he had said. Right. And so, uh, um, which is why we don't give a lot of weight to like special revelations, because, well, did Jesus give a test to... Special revelations that we might have? No, he, he pointed to the apostles and the Old Testament writers. So, so when we talk about the inspiration, we talk about how the writers were inspired by God to write the words that they did. Make sense? Makes sense. So that's what it is. So to help us further understand this, um, I'm going to talk about what it isn't. What it ain't. What it ain't. What it ain't. And what it ain't is what some might refer to as natural inspiration. What do we mean by that? Where some people have the view that Scripture is a literary masterpiece that is like any other humanly produced writer, but it's just genius. It's really good writing. And so um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's without error, but it's just genius in what it says. 
Now, why, Vicar, would we say that is incorrect? Because then that means it's all thought up by the writers, the, the guys that were holding the pen, the humans. Mm-hmm. And they can make mistakes. They can lie. They can twist truth, and they can put whatever they want there. And now we've got a doc. If that's the truth, then that we've now got a document that's full of whatever we wanted to say. Because art, art, and writing is generally an imperfect. Yeah, and it's subjective. Right. It can mean what I want it to mean. Right. So, so uh, inspira- natural inspiration means just in the natural course of things uh, that it, it proved to be genius. But the the thing is, when you, the more you study scripture, and you've noticed this, Burns, I'm sure, the more you see how how interlocked they are in ways that you couldn't just naturally do. Ties from Psalms to, to Jesus, the Old Testament to the New Testament. So many threads that interlock with each other that it just can't, couldn't ever be a natural understanding. There's so many things that you see and you understand that just couldn't, God's word speaks for itself in a lot of ways through many different writers um, that it just couldn't just be a natural thing. So, so we would say it ain't just natural inspiration. Another thing we say it ain't is partial inspiration. And what we mean by that is that uh, um, there are some things that, that they knew, they understood, and uh, it were, there were certain things that uh, there's no way they could know that. Well, those things are inspired. So, for example, if there are things that everyone knew, uh, that was common to the people of that day, you didn't need inspiration for that part. Or there are some things that maybe the writer did a little investigation to find out certain things. Well, that part necessarily wasn't inspired, but there are additional things beyond that that they needed inspiration for. Um, and so if there's things that couldn't commonly be known, they say, well, then those are the parts that were inspired. Um, but what's the problem with this vicar? It still puts us back into the place of having the human, you know, writers, the, you know, basically they're, the secretary's being dictated to that they're putting their own material into this. Right, which is kind of confusing as we get to the next one, because the next one also uh, that I have here, what it ain't, you know, there is a delicate interplay. Yeah. But but we would say it's it's uh, it, it would insinuate that uh, well, the whole thing isn't inspired. And uh, then you could say that there are mistakes. And, and then it becomes really easy to, for us now in the 21st century, to look at the scriptures and say, well, that's inspired, but this isn't because I disagree with that. Right. You know, like it, they got the history. What, what this person understood of history was completely wrong. Yep. All of the, the facts, he got those wrong, but there are certain times. Right, right. And you can just pick and choose then. Right. Then we have Jefferson's Bible. Just start cutting parts out, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, what if you, you had a list of rules and you told your children, well... I only mean like seven of the 11 rules. You figure it out. <laughs> right. What were they? They would pick the ones that, that were the easiest. Right. Yeah. So what it isn't, uh, I would say, now some, some might argue with me, but I would say it's not just like a mechanical dictation. In other words, the writers weren't just like typewriters or tape recorders. That, uh, you know... They knew nothing, and God told them, and they just typed it out. Now, there are some parts 
where it's like that. What are some interesting examples of that? Where it's probably like the whole book of Genesis, considering Moses is the author, and there's a lot of it that happened long before he would have been able to witness it, as opposed to like everything from Exodus through Deuteronomy, where he he's a character within that happening. Well, so I, God I would, would be say, sitting there at sure, Mount Sinai, but I would say I would say that Moses they they had a much better, even though he mo- wrote Moses wrote Genesis. Um, there was still an oral tradition that he yeah. had. Yeah. But I was thinking like the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Where it was literally, God said this, God said this. Or, you know, you have certain times in prophecies where they are speaking, this is what God Thus said. Thus saith the Lord. Right. 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 And then those are times we could say it's kind of, it is kind of like that. But at the same hand, uh, what's kind of beautiful about scriptures is is the fact that you do have men with different vantage points, different ways of writing that he uses, um, different experiences, different audiences, different history, that he uses them all to say the same story, but in different ways. The, the Gospels are a perfect ex- example of that because you have, you, you have different eyewitnesses that are recording more or less, I mean, obviously not always the same, but some of the same events uh, and they're highlighting different details of the events. And some will point out at that and be like, see here, you know, you've got Matthew and Mark are contradicting each other because, you know, they're talking about different things in the same event. And it's like, no, they're different witnesses looking at things from a different angle. You know, Matthew, uh, if I remember correctly, the feeding of the 5,000, it's Matthew that says, plus women and children. You mm-hmm. know, whereas, whereas the other gospels, gospel writers just simply say the 5,000 men. You know, you get that detail that, that uh, that that is unique to Matthew. You get those those unique things that help you to, um, to 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 see and to maybe put a different emphasis on, and that helps us out as preachers when we're preaching on those mm-hmm. different texts because you could say you know that you could you could focus on uh, something that Luke says, whereas maybe Matthew put mm-hmm. it differently. Which right? is why, with with this understanding that uh, um, understanding the historical context of the writing then plays an important part of understanding it because. Yeah. Because, you know, if it's just a mechanical thing, it doesn't really matter the history behind it. Just God is telling him, write this down, and he wrote it down. Um, but uh, that is why we, we use the history uh, to fully, to better understand what exactly is being said and how to understand it. Understanding that each one is, each, each, each part of that is inspired. So we wouldn't necessarily say that it's a mechanical dictation. Another example that, that where there is that kind of understanding would be the the Mormon faith, right? right? Where it's like he found these plates and he mechanically translated Joseph Smith. He was the only one who could understand it, and he translated them. Uh, they fell out of heaven. He found them, and nobody else could see them. He wrote them down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another way that verbal inspiration ain't, and that is conceptual inspiration. And what that is, is only the ideas and concepts are inspired, and then they try their best to explain those concepts. So the concepts that they teach are infallible. The writers might be fallible in their writing of it, in whatever literary form they use. And, uh, and so God gave me the ideas, and then we wrote them down, 
Uh, and way the way you see this is a lot of more liberal churches. It, you actually see this quite a bit where they'll talk about uh, um, looking at a book of the Bible and saying, well, this is how they understood God. And you kind of get the collection of what how they experienced faith or how they experienced their interaction with God and how they understood it. And somewhere deep, deep within all those various expressions of faith, you can then find kind of some, some truths that are born out of that. And so what it is is becomes like a, a, a thought that, that continues to grow and expand. And so you have things like the JEDP theory where it, it says, okay, uh, well, this people redacted, they edited it, and this, the way this group understood faith, and they changed this reading to follow in what, what they were going. And so it's like a, an idea thought that grows and grows and grows, and how people understood it and how they understood then and how they understood there. And then somewhere in that you can find the footprint of who God really is. And see, what that does then is it gives us a, them a chance to then to kind of, to in a way, say, now we are more superior. Now we have better understanding. We know more. And then because of that, this is how we understand God. And from that, we kind of follow the, 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 the thing that's going along, and then, and then we can add our thing, our thoughts, our ideas. Um, and then that's kind of one way that that pours out of that. Um, so I'm getting into a lot of different issues because, I, you know, I think it's good to, to delineate. This is really what makes all of the, the Christian denominations different is from from this. Um, and I think that what you just described there goes to show, I think, uh, you know, you, you brought up politics earlier, um, why, why so many different church bodies get into certain political movements, right? That, mm-hmm. that understanding of, um, it really, I mean, what you described as well is, is the theory of evolution. This is just the evolution of God in man's thought, right? Right. And, and, uh, and, and it's, the, it's man um, uh, deciding who God is, and defining him according to our thinking uh, of what we right. think he should be or how we understand him to be rather than as we heard last week. Uh, and, you know, th- this was kind of uh, one of my focuses on the sermon last week with, with Trinity Sunday, that God is holy. You know, Isaiah, Isaiah stands before uh, the Lord and, and sees the, the Lord high and lifted up, um, uh, you know, the, the, the seraphim crying out, holy, holy, holy. Uh, and he's terrified because God is holy and he's not uh, and you know what you just described is God's not holy. God, God is just whatever we want Him to be. And and that is generally how secular society. Um, if you go to a university, that's how they kind of understand and explain religion. Yeah. You know, this is where uh, monotheism came into play. Right. This is where these ideas progressed. And really, it is that same type of thing then that bores out of of how. A lot of Christian denominations view it's a we're continue to progressing we're continue to evolving when uh, when really if you look at scripture from the very beginning the complex theology that we have was being explained yep. from the very start and uh, that's just uh, um, and there's a there's always a pull within uh, uh, the study of scripture among a lot of places to, to do it in such a way that where the secular society won't laugh at us. Right, right. That, that That's all copacetic. We, we all want to be part of the club, so uh, let's use our terminology. Let's go along with it. 
So another, I'm really getting into this, right? So uh, another way that people misunderstand uh, biblical inspiration is a, a mystical or maybe even a, a neo-Orthodox way of understanding where scripture is inspired when it speaks to us or engenders faith to us. It becomes a word of God and how we respond to it. So, so um, you know, the words itself may not be the word, but how it really impacts you is really how it becomes the word of God. And so there is a subjective thing. Now, we do say that it is the word of God that creates faith. And we do say that the word of God does just what God says. But it is not your own subjective response that makes it. It is the word of God in of itself, and the Holy Spirit works through that word to create faith. So, for example, when uh, I remember as a pious high schooler uh, gathering together with some friends to do a Bible study, and we would read a Bible passage, and one person would say, I think the Bible says this. Another would say, I think the Bible says this. Another says, I think it says this. And we focused on what it meant to them and how it changed us or helped us and we are viewing the Word of God kind of in this way. It's not in a way that this is what God's Word says. It was, this is how what it means to me. This is how it changed me. And the, the whole power is in my understanding of it. And, and that can really lead people astray just because um, people can have all sorts of long, long ideas. And we live in a society now, don't we? where we say truth is validated by how I feel about it or my emotion about it, whether it's true or not. Right. You know, and, and I think the, 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 that really then, you go back to the rich man Lazarus. The rich man was convinced, wasn't he? He was convinced. And how he understood the word of God was true without actually looking at it. And he had no fear of death, all those things. Look at how he had God's favor in his mind. Well, in his own subjective understanding of the Word of God, he was wrong, and that mattered. And uh, and he wanted to go back and tell his his brothers, "Hey, listen to more closely, because if it's just subjective and a reality that oh, the God's work simply it is God's word and how it affects me or how it changes me, then you know that doesn't quite quite work out with." What does the scripture actually say? The the authority then for it to be God's word rests in the man, in the person then, and not in the word itself and not in the Holy Spirit's giving of that word, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and isn't that the same thing uh, that that um, differentiates, um, you know, our understanding of the reception of the Lord's Supper uh, from from that of maybe the Reformed, right? That it's it's not our faith uh, in receiving it that makes it Christ's body and blood. Right. It's objectively that whether you believe it or not and you receive it, even the unbeliever who receives the Lord's Supper is receiving the body and blood of Jesus, whereas our friends in the Reformed Church would say, no, he's not, right? The- or or I think even more that would, when you're talking the Lord's Supper, is when people say, well, if we take the Lord's Supper too much, it won't feel as special. Right. What is it? It's conforming what is happening to the subjective, how they right. understand That's it, right. how they receive it, even as a feeling. Right. Right. We don't want it. Someone once said to me, we don't want it to become like brushing our teeth. You know, we do that all the time without thinking about it. But why do we brush our teeth? Because <laughs> it's good for us. 
Right. So let's go back to then to a few what it is and what it could be. What it could be. So uh, one is the Bible is in its entirety God's word to us. It is free from error in its original writings or autographs. What do I mean by that? Do we have the actual penned letter of St. Paul to the Galatians? Unfortunately, we do not have the one that was literally in his hand as he was writing it. Right. Do we have the actual writing that Luke wrote down? As he's wandering around with Paul and on the mission? No, we sadly do not. Okay. Is, is there something that actually they did write down? Yes. Right. We don't have them. What do we have? We have... We have, like, photocopy number one and stuff like that. Right. We have copies. Yeah. And from them, we, deci- we decipher what it is that these writers actually wrote. We call that textual criticism. But uh, so we don't... And, and so we actually... And, and, and it, most of those are minor things. There really isn't anything that doctrine, doc- doctrinal that we, we use to do that. But at the same time, uh, it is important to us to figure out. So we, ha- we have some copies that are more reliable. We have older copies. We have things that we can address and look at. Well, this copy says this, and it's usually a, a word or a tense or something yeah. that, we, that, that we use. Um, but it is what uh, the writer actually wrote down that we would say is inspired. And we use then uh, um, textual criticism to find out exactly what those words are. Does that make sense? Okay. I feel like I'm putting everyone to sleep today, which is not usually my job in this podcast. No, it's just this is a heavy enough topic that it's hard to jump in without Berg. And you're speaking so eloquently. <laughs> so, uh, um, and then another thing we would say then that the scriptures is reliable in its history and doctrine. Now people will argue, well, you have things like the sun going around the earth and that kind of thing. Well, it's one of those observational things. You know, we realize it wasn't necessarily written to be a scientific document, but nonetheless, it was written to be true. Um, and, uh, and so we say in verbal inspiration that is inerrant, meaning without mistakes. And also then with this verbal inspiration, you also have to take the whole of Scripture. So uh, what is a, you learn quickly in the seminary that Scripture interprets? Scripture. Right. So if the whole thing as a whole is inspired, that means you use the other parts of inspired Word of God to understand the verse that is there before you. Um, and so, uh, so in that, we would say um, uh, that uh, we, we take the whole thing uh, and all the parts all come together to make the Word of God. You just can't poke out, pull out, which happens a lot, a, a verse and say, well, this is what God says in this verse, and then take it out of con- context of the rest of Scripture and say, okay, this is what it means, this, this is inspired by God, when to really understand it, you have to also study the rest of Scripture, which is part of the church, by the way, because no one can really fully understand all of Scripture on their own. It's kind of like a checks and balances that we do. That's what the confessions are. This is what we unanimously confess to be true in the Word of God, 
And so, if someone were to make a claim in the Lutheran Confessions, well, what about this? Well, they're all looking at Scripture. They're all judging each statement on Scripture, and they all can say with a unified one voice, this is what the Bible says. And part of that's part of why we have a church. Uh, you know, if you talk about a non-denominational church where they don't necessarily have that, they can. it's just up to the, whoever pastor happens to be there. So, um, and also then, too, we would say, as far as inspired, uh, in the original languages, right? Now, uh, the, the uh, for example, the Living Bible isn't, version isn't inspired. The ESV, uh, you know, we, we understand that there might be mistakes in each translation. So what it, what it could be, then, for, for the Christian listening is is a reassurance that when you have the Word of God, you actually have what God is saying. There's, I've met so many people in my lifetime who wander around and they think, well, what is God actually trying to tell me? What is God actually saying? And there's so much uh, unsure, insurity, insecurity, of, of the, like they're trying to read God's mind or something. And along that note, then, too, as your pastor gives you the word of God, what is God saying? And, and as I, I kind of brought this up in uh, uh, when talking about, we had someone, well, we had actually someone who was going to go to work in Bible translation. And I, I kind of explained that that's kind of what we do in a sermon. You know, we, in a sense, take a text and we translate that text to the life and situations of the hearers. And since we're translating that Bible for them, um, uh, to their situation, but that doing that though for for the listener that means uh, you can trust what God's word actually says. Going back to to the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man uh, and the Lazarus, uh, Lazarus, the whole emphasis in that is to actually trust in the word of God and what it actually says. It is that which is wise to make you wise, uh, to make you wise unto salvation. Right. And, and, uh, um, you know, that's, that's, that's what the whole, what, what the Holy Spirit does through that word. Um, Isaiah 55 is, is a, a beautiful text, uh, to that end. Right. I mean, he, he sends the word, uh, to us in, in the same way that he sends the rain and the snow upon the earth. Uh, to bring forth bread to the eater and, and seed to the sower. In the same way, his word comes and it uh, it accomplishes that which it's sent for, right? Works and creates and sustains faith. All right, that's a good way to end that segment. So what do you think of your first actual segment on the show? That was, that was awesome. That was great. Okay. Um, what do you want to do? You want to do the, the attention deficit Bible study? It's up to you. So what it is is it's a the, the attention deficit Bible study. We do one verse, one verse only, because that's all the attention span I have. <laughs> so uh, before we get into that, uh, do you have any stories about your vicarage? Anything? Any stories about what, vicarage? What do I, I mean? What 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 do you think of your time here? Uh, was it the clanging and banging in the weight room? If <laughs> <laughs> you look back to the, your time on vicarage, was that the strongest you've ever been in your life? Uh Probably. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, although, um, maybe not the healthiest I've been in my life. Yeah. You trimmed down. I trimmed bit. down after, after Vicarage. I trimmed down a lot on Vicarage 
and then a lot more after. You know, um, Burns, I was just telling somebody uh, the other day, uh, when I saw you uh, the other day, actually, uh, there was, I, I hadn't seen you in many, many years, uh, and so I'd seen you before you lost the weight that you've lost, and uh, the first time I saw you after, uh, you had come down to Hampton for the fair. Yeah. And so you're standing in the middle of just the road or whatever, and you're looking at me, and I'm looking at you, and I'm sure your head, you're going, oh, hey, it's Peter. Why is he not talking to me? Right. And my head- You weren't head, the only person that was like that, by the my way. My head, I'm, I'm going, why is that guy staring at me? What does he yeah, want? Yeah, he's creepy. <laughs> and then my mom walks right up to you and gives you a hug, and I'm like, wait. And like, X-Files music starts playing in my head. Like, what is going on? Oh, my gosh. There there were all sorts of people who walked past us, you know, and we're like waving and they're just kind of looking at us like, hi, who are you? <laughs> yeah, the, the same thing was true when I got back off of Vicarage, though, when, when I got back to the seminary. I mean, there were professors that would stop and they'd look at me and kind of cock their head and wow, you know. Um, so, no, I you know, I loved Vicarage. Uh, Vicar, I mean, you're almost done, so, you know, um, this was... Uh, this was a great year for us. Um, great experience. Um, learned a lot. Um, uh, Peter, your mom uh, commented one time, must have been for one of the many baptisms that you guys have come to um, for our passel of children, um, that uh, she noticed my sermon delivery and all of that was very much inspired by, by, uh, by pastor here. And uh, I think about that a lot. Actually, in some of my phraseology is like, oh, Pastor Bullhagen would say that, or <laughs> I got that from him, or whatever, you know. So it's um, because I get in your head, so that you, when you're you writing sermons, That's like right. after, you you know what I started doing again? Do you remember what you had me do when I was uh, really struggling to write sermons? Handwrite them. Handwrite them. Yep, because uh, it, it was like it was like I'm writing papers, right? And uh, I, I'm used to writing papers on my computer. And, does it sound and, familiar, Vicar? Yeah, oh yeah, it you, does. You're there too. Okay, good. Uh, uh, you know, so I started hand. He had me handwrite them, and I got away from that a little bit uh, for the first while of my ministry, but especially in the last you know couple years. Um, and here again is another anti-technology thing. Um, computers are distracting. Um, so you know, writing. I, I noticed this too. Is uh, one thing as pastors from people who are older, we get a lot of handwritten cards mm-hmm. or notes, and they just come across differently than an email. Yep, absolutely. And I think. I think uh, when you're handwriting, it comes across a little bit more personable is a good way. Yeah. A little more, I don't know what term I'm using, but it comes across a little better. And and I think, I think too, you know, you're not going back and like trying to edit your, you know, edit it so that it's right and things are spelled right and punctuation is right, which I can't do very well anyway. Become, but you just, you just write, you know, you just write and you're, and, and then you can come back and you edit that later. Right. right. But uh, no, Vicarage was, uh, Vicarage was a great year. Um had uh, had a blast. Had Peter in confirmation class. As oh, a, uh, Peter, do you have any stories? <laughs> you were remember. you were a seventh grader that year. Or were you a sixth grader? It was one of those. This. Yeah, sixth or seventh grade. I was a know it all back then. Uh, well, you did know a lot. All right, so uh, why don't we spin the wheel um, for uh, what is official? I always get the name of this segment wrong. Peter, Imp- uh, impaired concentration. Oh, hey, hey, Peter. Uh, what do I say again? Uh, play. Play. The. The. 
intro. Okay. Play the intro, Peter. Do you have impaired concentration? Then this is for you. It's the impaired concentration Bible study. One verse, one verse only. All right. So, uh, Peter, if you would do us the honor of spinning the wheel. All right. Here we go. We got Hebrews 6.14 saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. Well, I think it's ironic that I have two uh, two people in here with five children. <laughs> you have four. That's true. It's one less than five, though. Uh, so, Vicar, what is you have it open there? What's the context of this passage? Uh, I'm actually just looking at that now because I, I, I was curious. Even it's like that is a weird sentence. Yeah, because verse thirteen is the start of the sentence. This is the back half of a sentence. That's why it looks kind of odd. So we're going to break with tradition and actually get in a little of the verse before, right? Oh, okay. You want me to read that? Yes, yes, please. Okay. That would uh, be helpful. Two, yeah, verses, we're, we're two verses only. We're, <laughs> we're, we're trading. I might lose focus, we're trading so make it fast. ESV. Yeah, uh, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. So this is in the part of Hebrews where we're talking about Abraham being a great example. Which is like the majority of the book of Hebrews. All right, Burns, go. I thought this was your segment. Uh, uh, <laughs> so we're doing a we're doing a Bible study off yes. of this. Okay, uh, off of just well, talk about fourteen. It. Yeah, yeah. So so I mean, God here gives Abraham a uh, uh, you know this great promise uh, to to make All him right, into well, a great let me, nation. Let me save you. Let me save you. All right. I did that for a year. I can do it now. Okay. All right. So. We, when we hear God promising to Abraham, uh, I will multiply you, I will bless you, what is he actually talking about? He's what talking is, about Jesus. He's, talking, he's about, talking about sending Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Right. God promising, because the, the purpose of Hebrews is to, to show that Jesus is this promise. Right. And that you are saved in him, not by your works, but by faith. And so, uh, in this passage, uh, we look, this actually teaches us when we look at how, how God promises to Abraham that uh, uh, I will multiply you, like the stars, the seed, like the stars in the sky, or the sand on the seashore. And as he promised to Abraham, and you have the word bless here, right? Remember what God promised Vicar to Abraham uh, when he offered up a ram instead of his son? Through your offspring, all nations, all nations will be blessed. Will be blessed. Right. And so this passage then is surely uh, saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, multiplying I will multiply thee, shows just what we talked about earlier, how Scripture 1 holds together. You have uh, Moses writing to, uh, of Abraham, of a promise that was fulfilled in Jesus given by the writers of Hebrews, even a little later, to tell a story that all holds together about Christ Jesus being the blessing and how the blessing is multiplied in the people of God, not just for the Hebrews, but for all nations. And so this passage then ties all of this together because it would make no sense if we tried to understand this without the rest of scriptures, even though it's just a one-verse Bible study. And 
now that we use the rest of the scriptures, then we can understand that God is making a promise uh, through Abraham and that Christ is the high priest, the one by which we are saved. No one greater than, than Abraham at that time, but now there is someone greater, and that is our Lord Jesus. How'd I do? That was pretty good. Yeah, that yeah, was almost a sermon, not a Bible study. Yeah. Dear brothers and sisters. Well, and the, the, the cross-reference note leads to Genesis 22, so the sacrifice of Isaac. That's where it's citing from. Hmm. So, yeah. Smart dude wrote that. <laughs> made, made, the, made the connection even before we got to any of the rest of it. Spin the wheel again. No, we're going to... Peter, play the intro. i do this segment again. Do you have impaired concentration? Then this is for you. It's the Impaired Concentration Bible Study. One verse, one verse only. All right. Uh, I'm going to spin the wheel, I guess. All right, we got Romans 13.10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You got this, Burns. All right. You, you have Burgos. Looking, looking at me. Burgos to say, "All right, riff on that. Riff on that." <laughs> uh, can we have in a translation? I understand, Victor. <laughs> Some slightly newer English, perhaps. <laughs> I really should have had the like the message or the the voice on hand for that. I mean, uh, so yeah, first, then, uh, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So, well, one, okay, so. You want me to start, or you want to go? Well, okay. So, I think this is a this is a a, a very helpful um, uh, text, especially as we think about um, rich man and Lazarus, right? That uh, um, uh, the law the law, of course, uh, points us uh, shows our shows our sin. What's that? Keep on your mic. I'm sorry, uh, I'm not used to that. It's okay. Um, so so. The, the law, the law, uh, the second table of the law, especially, is directed us to our neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we uh, we we love our neighbor by by doing those things that the law uh, instructs us to do. So honor your father and your mother. How do I love my father? I love my father by obeying him, right? How do I love my neighbor according to the seventh commandment? Mm-hmm. Um, I love my neighbor not only by not stealing from him, now we're getting into the catechism, uh, but also by helping him to improve and protect his possessions and income. Uh, and so, uh, you know, love is not just a feeling. Love is not just how I, how I think of someone or, f- or feel about someone, mm-hmm. uh, but it is about how, um, how I live toward them. That's a good point because a lot of people argue against the Ten Commandments based on love. Right, right. Well, what are some examples? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> I'm glad you picked up. <laughs> the, the 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 whole the whole confusion we have over marriage right now, you know, and and that whole arena is all the 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 excuse is love, right? Mm-hmm. You're not loving me if you don't allow me to do this or that, or if you tell me that that this lifestyle is is bad. That's love, and and uh, uh, you know, so so love trumps all, right? Um, and then the beauty behind this. Part of this whole discussion is, do you notice how it says, Vicar? It says, love is the fulfilling of the law. Yeah. Okay. What's interesting about that is, if that's the case, we, on the one hand, cannot fulfill the law. Right. On the other hand, Christ Jesus actually did fulfill the law. And what this teaches us is, 
The only way you can truly love is through the gospel, through the forgiveness of your sins. And so um, uh, love considers your neighbor because is it loving, uh, Burns, is it loving uh, to... Um, uh, if, if, I, if, if God commands me to love my neighbor, right, and I say, okay, I'll be nice to my neighbor so that I can go to heaven. Right. Who are you loving? You're loving yourself, right? That's, loving all, yourself. that's all about you. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, but the, the love and the, the understanding that Christ has fulfilled the law for you, that Jesus has already paid the price, he has made things right between you and God, that then actually opens you up to love your neighbor for your neighbor's sake, right. to love God because of his love toward you. And that in the se- and then is a fulfilling. And and then the law then instructs us on in how to do that, right? Sometimes we get into this whole um, we, we Lutherans talk about we, the third use of the do. law. We do and see and that's that was the point I was I was trying to make is is that um you know sometimes we get into this idea that the law is bad uh, because we can't keep it. Uh, the law, the law makes me feel bad because it convicts me of my sin. You know, that's, that's its primary function, uh, that it convicts me. Uh, but what that, you're, that, what by you're the way, right. That, that is a common, common, uh, vicar sermon. Right. Not so much with this vicar where, where it's, you know, the law is, it kills, which it does, and you can't keep it. Right. Almost to the point of why even try. Amen. And then we move on. Right. But, but, but we forget then that, of course, why does the law do that? Why does the law kill us so that the gospel makes us alive? And, but now the law is still there, and it, and it, still, it still then instructs us. We, we, we still then— It teaches us how teaches to love God to, and right. how to love—not for right. your salvation. And not that we do it perfectly. Because there's an order to this. Right, right. Which you delineated. Right. It's not a love for salvation. It's a it's love, love— Because of. Because of salvation. Yeah, yeah. So— well, that was a good verse. Well, that is our episode today. Was it scary? Uh, you know, a little bit, but it's okay. You're always scaring me. You make so, me nervous. Uh, so if people want to get to know about you, where can they find you? <laughs> <laughs> not on the internet. Um, uh, <laughs> though I'm not on Facebook, our church is on Facebook, um, Redeemer Lutheran Church. Where can they call your um, flip phone? <laughs> right. I'm not giving that number out. I'm sorry. Um, they're... <laughs> I, I give that to my congregation, <laughs> not 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 putting that on the on the interwebs. Uh, <laughs> and Vicar, where could they get a hold of us if they want to get a hold of of us, so that we can send him the letters? That's right. If if you want if yeah. you want, um, listener, I want you to let us know whether we should have Burns back or not. So give us a yay or nay. If we get more nays than yays, you're done. All right, you're done. Okay, so. So can I go home and start emailing you a whole bunch of nays with that? Uh... <laughs> you have to figure out how to use the computer first. Oh, okay. right. I mean, don't we usually get about two or three votes anyway for anything? Yeah. So I mean, if wow. You, so if so you want... it hangs in the balance it there. Then really right? does. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if two people decide nay, that's it. So if, yeah, if your listeners are in Minnesota, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Minnesota. Minnesota is a beautiful state. Yeah. Uh, See, I think but... Bert does, isn't going to feel too kindly about being replaced. So he's just, you know, that's an automatic number one nay. So Bert, Although, Bert oh, cannot be replaced. No, we're going to get him a microphone. <laughs> we have a budget for that. Anyway, Vicar, where can they get a hold of us? <laughs> they can email us feedback at clericalerrors.org. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash clericalerrorspodcast. 
and apparently still on Twitter. Uh, oh, yeah. At, at me, bro. Yeah, at Clerical Errors P. They, have, they haven't kicked podcast. you off yet? No. Oh, okay. So, so are you going to go back and listen to any of these episodes now, Burns? I don't know. Maybe. I think some don't segments lie. that you like. Honestly, my wife listens to the podcast. I, I will tell you that. Um, she... Uh, when she goes out for her walk, she listens to the podcast. And so I do hear from time to time of some things that have been, you know, going on. My father-in-law listens to it. I will go back and I will listen. I, uh, uh, you know, but. You don't have to. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I could do it's, that. I and it's not you. It's, it's me. It's. <laughs> no, it's okay if you don't listen, really. No. <laughs> it's fine. All right. Well, thank, thank you for listening. Uh, I am Bullhagen. I'm Burns. And I'm Vicar. And may your... May your Gatorade always quench your thirst. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.